Welcome back to the next episode of Quest Exploration. This is Matt Jennings, the CEO of Quest, and we're flipping the script a little bit today. As you know from the first two podcast episodes, Brian Sprang uh, and I are the co-host, but Brian sort of sort of acted as the primary host, and I did a lot of the speaking uh, as we talked about Quest and the board of directors and, and how we were formed. And in the second one, when we talked about the Quest way and what our brand and what our logo means to us, this time we're going to have Brian come in and uh, he's going to talk to us about some stuff that's pretty relevant. Now, we had a schedule laid out that was really good as far as the uh, the episodes that we wanted to do. But as everyone knows, here we are in the midst of a pandemic and online shopping and online banking and all of those things are really a, a way of life now. They, they were important to us over the last decade as we build up uh, to this most recent time frame. But now it seems like we're relying on that more and more. So we felt like uh, t- to keep these relevant and also to help protect people that we get Brian in and we really drill down and talk about uh, data security and cybersecurity and the way he helps you stay safe with your banking, your identity uh, and your money. So I'm happy to welcome Brian Sprang, our chief information officer. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much. How's how's everything going? Uh, Everything's great. Here we are a couple weeks out from Christmas and it's, you know, I I just love this time of year. And yeah, it is. But there's, you know, like we said in the intro that this is a a joyous time. It's a glorious time. It's a great time to give back to family and friends in your community, but it's also can be a dangerous time. And so I guess I'd like to start, Brian, I know you gave me a list of some touch points here that we want to hit, but I think our our membership and our listeners would like to hear a little bit about you. And of course, I think I have a pretty good grasp of that since we've worked together now for quite a while, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yep. Thank you very much. Uh, I started in uh, around 2001 at a software company here in Kenton, Ohio called Almax Software. Uh, I started there in the tech support department. And uh, after having graduated from the University of Toledo with a bachelor's degree in business administration and information systems was my major. Um, I took that to Almax and uh, with the help of Russ Maxwell and everybody there, we, we you know, kind of sold software, supported software, um, did everything out of that office in Kenton and through the tech support department, picked up a lot of different, uh, tips, tricks, tools, everything that you could kind of want to be able to help support desktop applications, uh, customer service, uh, which segued nicely into member service when I came on board at the credit union. Um, And one of the things that's most important about my job here at the credit union as chief information officer is uh, cybersecurity and information security and how to help our staff members as well as our members and those services and tools that we offer to the membership about how to protect yourself uh, from not downloading the right thing, not clicking on the wrong thing, uh, not doing those things that, uh, you know, maybe at home you're a little more cavalier about it or, well, you really shouldn't be. But uh, certainly while you're here at the office, what should you do? What shouldn't you do? How to identify those red flags, how to manage that and uh, and and go about your day to day job duties as best you can. Uh, on the other side of that here at the credit union, I'm also in, uh, responsible for marketing, social uh, media, data analytics 
folks uh, utilizing um, the information that we're provided from our membership to better serve them and provide services and products and uh, everything that that will help them financially uh, in and move it, move them ahead as best they can. That's a great background, and we're excited to have you with us. It's been a, a wonderful addition, not just for us from a from a data standpoint or a, um, a data processing and, and our cybersecurity, but I think the programs that you're offering and the information that you put out to our membership is amazing. I sure hope people are, are paying attention to it, and I would encourage, you know, I know some of these things we talk about, it's, it's you know, it doesn't matter your age or your technological ability, you, you're still going to be faced with this, uh, but if there's younger people people out there listening. And, you know, I think we see a lot of these things, especially the the first topic with phone call attacks and the smishing and that type of stuff. You know, we get a lot of phone calls from seniors and, you know, they want to believe that it's true, but they also know it's probably too good to be true. Um, And so if you're young, younger and you're out there listening to this and you've got a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa uh, that you think could be susceptible, susceptible to this type of attack, show them how to listen to these things. You know, listen to what Brian has to say. And I think it'll, it'll simplify and clarify and, uh, and hopefully make people all, all around safer, which, you know, helps us help them. So, uh, that, that first touch point there, Brian, that we, that we sort of talked about. So the phone call attacks, smishing, S M I S H I N G. So unlike phishing, uh, correct. This is smishing and then, uh, caller ID spoofing. Talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very common. It happens every day. It probably happens to everyone who's listening and all those who aren't listening, but the phone call attacks, um, it's one of the most successful attacks against unwilling participants in fraud. Uh, it oftentimes begins as a call from Microsoft tech support, Amazon, maybe somebody purporting to be from the federal government on the tax uh, side of things on the IRS revenue service. Um, and, and oftentimes these calls all begin with, hey, this is so-and-so from Microsoft tech support as an example. And we've got an urgent update to issue for your computer or on the other side, the the IRS, if they're calling, they say, "Oh, you've got back taxes. You're 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 under audit. You're the only be way arrested. exactly. Yes, yes, we hear that a lot, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and these are so common, so prevalent, and so successful that you just have to treat virtually every phone call you get, unless it's from your best friend, family member, somebody like that." with the utmost care and concern for yourself because they will take you on a literal ride with your with your finances. Uh, as I said, it always begins with some sort of sense of urgency about the call, whatever that call might be. Um, that's your first red flag. If they're calling and say they have an urgent matter, but you just don't feel right about it, hang up. First of all, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, the IRS, they are not going to call you, specifically the first three. Microsoft and Apple and Amazon are not going to call you about your tech support help. Once they sell the operating system, the software, the laptop, the computer, the whatever, they're done. You have to go to them for tech support. They are never going to call you for tech support to to give you an update. Uh, What happens is that they get you to go to your computer, go to your device, and then usually through some sort of obscure website, 
or application. They will have you download software, run that software, and that will get you connected to them. Uh, And then they will ask you to go to your online banking. We can get this settled. You just have to pay us first. We'll just do a quick bill pay transfer or a transfer to another account or something of that nature. Uh, And then once they have control of your computer, they're probably screen uh, or uh, key capturing, which means that that software that they had you install not only lets them see what you're doing, but it also captures all of your keystrokes. So when you go to type in that password, even though it might be masked with the little black dots that show you not what you've typed, but just that you've typed something, they're capturing all that. So then they have your username, your password, your answers to your security questions, and then they have access to your online banking. Unfortunately, when online banking credentials are stolen, they they are stolen. But when they are used after they are stolen, Technically, they are not liable. Right. They're they're doing the act, but they have gotten your credentials. And with those credentials, they can't really be held liable unless they're caught in the act. So it's almost like you've given them inadvertent authorization. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Uh, That's absolutely correct. Once you give that authorization, it's just like if you provide somebody with your debit card, a close friend or family member in a time of emergency, you give them your debit card, you give them your pin, you say, go to the ATM, go get a hundred bucks for me for whatever I need, my pills, my groceries, whatever it might be. You've given them temporary authorization to use that. Now, most people turn your card back in. They try to forget your PIN number as best they can. But no matter what, whether it's whether it's done maliciously or not, it's temporary authorization. And there's not a lot the credit union can do. We'll help you as much as we can. But certain things have to go to law enforcement and they have to go that route. And there's nothing we can do to, to really help you on that end. Um, Brian, is it safe? To, is it safe to assume that, you know, I've seen this happen, unfortunately, many, many times. And it's, you know, every every time the story may be a little different, but the outcome is the same. They drain an account. They, you know, they charge they rack up a bunch of, of charges on a credit or a debit card. It really, uh, though, the, the evidence is clear quickly. That, the, that this has happened. Is that a, a pretty yeah, fair to say? Absolutely. They may change your email address through the online banking system or whatever tool they're using to gain gain access. Uh, they'll te- change it temp- temporarily. They'll do what they have to do. And then they'll set it back or wipe it out completely. And then you'll never know that they were in. All we have is an IP address. And those are uh, really difficult to find anything about who did what. Um, I mean, unfortunately, these kinds of attacks in this kind of business uh, model, although illegal, highly illegal, uh, has become a very successful, uh, almost a legitimate business in illegitimate business, if you will. Um, So it's really difficult. Um, Let me run down just a couple of things that really can help you uh, protect yourself against these phone call attacks. Oh, and and before I do, one of the other really important things to realize is that another facet of these attacks is what's called caller ID spoofing. We've come to know and love caller ID and helps us know who's calling. It helps us ignore calls if we need to. but it is very easily used against unknowing, unwilling victims. Um, there is software available on the uh, on the dark web, or maybe not even on the dark web, just available that allows you to utilize a computer, 
place phone calls through your computer and through that software, it changes the caller ID. We've had many people call into the credit union to say, hey, I, I got a call from from Quest about a loan application that uh, I never I never started a loan application. I, I didn't do anything or that my loan was behind. I do have loans with you, but they're not behind. The caller ID said it was from you guys. Well, it's caller ID spoofing. It happens all the time and it's used against people. It makes it look like it's coming from a Kenton, Ohio phone number, Belfound, Ada, Upper Sandusky, wherever. Um, it may say that it's Quest FCU. It may say that it's U.S. Bank. It may say that it's Liberty National Bank. It, it happens to everybody. It's not just happening to people at Quest Federal Credit Union. So you can never really trust caller ID Um quite the way you used to be able to, unfortunately, because it's, it's a helpful tool. There's no doubt about it, but it is, uh, it is not to be trusted quite as uh, easily. And, and regardless, it, when someone calls in, it, no matter what the caller ID says, and they start asking for social security numbers, bank card numbers, uh, online banking credentials, you know, anything like that, you know, that that's not legit, yeah. you know, just assume time to terminate that call, yeah. give us a call or whoever report it um, and, and never, ever yeah. over the telephone That's release any personal data. Oh, 100 um, percent. There are two things to add to what Matt just said is that one, if it's Quest calling you, we already have that information. Your bank, your financial institution, your investment service, your um uh, medication, pharmacy, pharmacy uh, renewal service f- through the mail or through online service, you know, they already have that information. They have your insurance information, your personal information, because you've given that to them through whatever legitimate means. But if people are asking for it, do not ever, ever <laughs> under any circumstance, give that out willingly uh, unless you verify that it truly is the business you're looking to, to work with. And that's the second point. If you believe that the call is an attack or even if you're not sure, hang up, just hang up the phone that goes with email messages, text messages. If you just don't feel like it's legitimate, just Cancel. Ignore it. It may not be your normal mode of operation, but it's truly the best way to protect yourself. Then confirm it. Place a call to Quest. Place a call to your financial institution. Place a call to your 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 online pharmacy or whomever it might be that says they're calling for you. Um, place a call. Verify. Double check. That's the best way it's going to have uh, work out to your advantage and, and you're going to stop them dead in their tracks. Yeah. And I think this has become so prevalent and, and our government isn't always the swiftest right. to, to create solutions sometimes. But I am highly encouraged that the Social Security Administration and the IRS both came out several years ago and said, no more phone calls from us. We're not calling you because we know it can be, it can appear as a scam or you're not trusting up. So social security and the internal revenue service, they're going to mail you, 100%. right? They're going to use the United States postal service. It's going to come in the form of a letter and they're going to ask you to call them. Yes. And that is 
safe and legit and very reasonable. Uh, They are not going to call and say, hey, you're behind on your back taxes. Why don't you give me your social security number? Well, if I'm behind on my back taxes, you know my social security number. Right. That's that's correct. That is absolutely correct. Um, So, yeah, we've talked about a lot of these tips, but I'll just reiterate. If you believe the call is an attack, hang up. Verify with the business or organization uh, that you're that that is saying they're getting in touch with you, and and do a little investigation. It may take a little time, but it's worth it in the long run. Never trust your caller ID. That caller ID spoofing is is second to none in getting people to fall for uh, you know bad actors doing bad things. Uh, never allow a caller uh, to take control of your computer or trick you into downloading software. Um, you should always treat those types of calls as, as illegitimate, as fraudulent, and they're trying to do something nefarious. They are trying to do something bad. And finally, if you are receiving a phone call and it's from somebody you don't personally know, just let it go to voicemail. Nine times out of 10, if it's fraud or if it's junk, it'll it'll just go to voicemail. They may not leave a recording. Or if it's an automated recording, what I've found a lot of times is that the 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 way that voicemail systems pick up on your phones and the way the programs or the automated things work on the other side of the call is that you'll get half a message. Right. And that's an immediate tip off to me that it just, somebody's not reaching out to really save me money on my uh, utility bills <laughs> or, you know, if, if it's an automated system like that and it's not a, it doesn't sound like a real person, it's probably not a real person. So uh, really just ignore, ignore, Ignore. Right. Right. That's the mantra we get here from Brian all the time. Ignore, delete, ignore, yeah. delete. And if you need to uh, or you deleted something that you know was relevant, they're going to reach back out That's to you. Correct. So great. Um, so let's talk about locking down your login. Yes. With with all of these online services, you are being asked more and more, if not every single time to create an account. And that account is going to be made up of a username, most likely in the form of uh, your email address and a password. Um, and, and there's so many things we could get into on passwords. I'll try not to get bogged down and, and go into too, too much detail on this, but it's very important. So you've got your email address or username. Um, a lot of times there's nothing you can do to avoid reusing your username, whether it's a common handle, a nickname, or it is your email address that you're using to log into those services. That can't really be helped. That's the way the system is designed. Where you can uh, go into really um, some some higher level security is with your password. Uh, before I touch on how to make sure that password's in good shape, Um, I want to back up just a second. There are three different ways in the industry. There's three different ways that we kind of refer to identification. There uh, are three different ways to prove who you are, what you know, such as a password, what you have, such as a driver's license and some part of you, such as a fingerprint. Now, um, you know, if a service offers you the opportunity, a lot of times I'm talking mainly about your cell phone, your mobile phone, your Apple, your Android. If you have the opportunity to use biometric login, I highly recommend it. Whether that is a face ID, facial recognition uh, piece, or whether it's your fingerprint, lock your phones, 
lock your tablets and unlock them using your fingerprints or your face. Those are most likely going to be the best and easiest ways to protect those devices if you have access to them. And once you take the time to set that up, it's really slick. It it's our app, it you know, it has multi-authentication like that, the, meaning the Quest app. And it's really once you take the moment yep. to lock down your login yep. and then use your thumbprint or use your facial recognition, bang. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes it really simple. It's virtually instantaneous right. login. And it and it's, um, you know, Apple and, Andro uh, and the Android uh, operating systems have been utilizing those for such a long time. And to be frank, there have not been reports of widespread breaches of those databases. Those databases are encrypted and protected beyond belief. I mean, you've got to consider the fact that uh, Android and Apple are both those, those uh, well, Android and uh, Google, I mean, Apple and Google are working in your best interest. You may not feel that way. You may feel like they're tracking your every move, but when it comes down to it, they really are trying to protect your best interest. And those, those biometric things are locked down and, and you just don't hear about breaches. I know that was a lot of the concern when those things were first introduced. We're like, oh, it's just another database. It's just going to get another way to get hacked outside of the websites uh, and, and, and businesses that have been hacked with, with, with point of sale software and that kind of stuff. You have never heard of hackers cracking and stealing billions of users login information through the biometric sources. They've done a fantastic job of that. So I, I really highly recommend doing that. So um, passwords. My number one thing on passwords is don't reuse your passwords. I know that's hard and I'll touch on how to maybe manage that side of life a little bit better, but don't reuse your passwords. You've got to consider that when you have 25, 50, 300 sites that you utilize and have accounts for, whether they are uh, no big deal accounts and, and, and sites that you use that don't sell you anything, don't do anything, but you use the same password at all of them and a hacker knocks off that lowest hanging fruit, uh, to use a, a phrase, um, when they crack that database and they get your login there, if they have your login for one site and you use the same password at 50 other sites, including online banking, including investment and retirement uh, accounts, including healthcare information, guess what? They got it all. They've got it all. They've got the keys to the castle. Mm -hmm. And once they have that, all they have to do is go to other sites and start trying those. So that's the that's the number one thing you can do is never reuse your password. So, Brian, when I see your password, it's not that I actually see it, but you give us examples of um, it looks like Egyptian hieroglyph. I mean, you've got like. 18,000 characters with all these special characters and upper and lower and numbers. And yeah, I'm sure. But it's it's absolutely the right. I mean, it, it, it solves the, some of these biggest problems. How do you recommend that non-IT people, so me and the, the average listener out there, how do, how do we get that safe, but keep it manageable? There are two ways to do that. I would say that there are two ways to do it. 
the number one way to do it is to employ a password manager. Um, a password manager is usually an app or something like that. Not generally a, a full on just a website, because again, those can get hacked and, and, and apps, you know, ultimately send data somewhere. And that's a server out there in the cloud. And that's not unlike a, a website in a way, but a, a, a password manager app is really the best way to go about that. Okay. Most of the time, the password manager apps that are out there, and I would recommend paying for one. Unfortunately, free is not always the best solution to this. Free is going to mean that it's either not built very well. It's It may mean that you can only save about 10 logins before you have to pay for something. Um but a password, a good password manager app is going to advertise themselves as um, um, zero knowledge, meaning that even their tech support people won't be able to tell you what your passwords are because they are so heavily encrypted and stored in a way that makes it non-human readable. Um, that that's just not plain text, so that you can't call them up, you can't send them an email and say, "Hey, I lost my Google account password. What is it?" They aren't going to know. Um, zero knowledge. Good password managers are going to offer you the opportunity to generate passwords and then save those passwords as you use them on various sites. And a lot of times, especially and I'm an Apple person, um, but I believe that Android devices have the same thing because they're they're, you know, one step forward, somebody catches up, somebody makes an innovation, the other team catches up. That's that's good. Competition is good in that way. But most of the devices, the newest devices, all have ties to password manager apps now. And if they don't have a password manager app tie-in, they, they themselves have their own methodology of securely capturing your Apple or Android passwords and, and or passwords you use on those devices. And then when you go to a website, it'll ask you, do you want to use a password? Do you want to save that password? And then, you know, you can generate password uniquely and never have that problem of reusing passwords, old passwords. Um, password managers will also usually offer you the opportunity to review the passwords that you have saved. Um, they tie into a lot of the well-known hacking uh, community Good, on the good side of hacking, the, the databases that say, oh, there was a breach at so-and-sobusiness.com, was your login part of that breach? Because after those breaches are disclosed to the public, then tools can be used to say, oh, was, was my account? And that website, let me look it up to make sure I get it correct here. Um, it's kind of a funny one, but it's called Have I Been Pwned. Um, pwned is kind of a hackery's term for owned or taken advantage of. So that again is www. Have I been pwned.com. H A V E I B E E. Oh, sorry, I messed that up. <laughs> Have I been P-W-N-E-D.com. I'll include that in the show notes so that you have it um, unapologetically correct. Um, Brian, just quickly, uh, you know, we're sitting here looking at this white paper that you put together for the Hardin County Chamber and Business Alliance. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to, to provide this, yeah. a link to this? Yeah. Uh, because I'm reading over this and, and there's some great information. Now, some of it's really 
down in the weeds type stuff. Uh, But it's also something that I think our listeners might click on and say, hey, I'm going to read this over. While I'm listening, I might read this over. So if you can include that too, that'd be wonderful. Absolutely. So passwords, um, password managers, here at the credit union, um, to give a little unsolicited plug, we utilize Keeper Security. You can look up keepersecurity.com. Um, sometimes I use a different one. It's called One Password. It's uh, that one I use for our family purposes. And uh, you can get a family account and then share passwords. So, you know, yeah. one person has the Netflix account, but three people have devices in their bedrooms for Xbox, PlayStation, television, Roku. Um, and everybody wants to have that Netflix password, you can share that just like with the keeper security, but I have it. It's, it's just one password and that's uh, from uh, agile bits software. Um, that's got keeper again, all of the gr- good, highly recommended password managers are going to have uh, apps for your phone and tablet, your mobile devices. They may have a dedicated app for Windows or or Apple based uh, laptops, desktop computers. They will also have some sort of website based access. The key to this is to have a master password. Um, master password is going to be that one password that you never use anywhere else. That one password that you absolutely have to have and remember and keep secure among above all things. It may be something that you provide to your loved one. It may be something you put in a lockbox. It may be something that you give to your boss if it has, uh, you know, business business implications, that kind of stuff. So the master password allows me to touch on one other aspect of password keeping that might be helpful. Matt alluded to my long 24, 36, whatever character passwords that I do have that are combinations of upper lowercase number, uh, characters, numbers, symbols across all of it and impossible to be remembered, uh, you know, and that's the point. But if you're not fond of that, other ways to do this are, are through passphrases. Passphrases, instead of a password, are going to be just simple statements that you can easily remember, um, but are long enough because if you string three, four, eight words together and that that becomes your passphrase, you can remember it, but it makes it harder for the programs to crack that software because truly longer is better. Um, you know, a, a, an eight character password versus a 16 character password, you'd really be surprised if it's randomized and truly not based on winter 2020 right. exclamation mark. Um, it, it does take software programs a long time to, to get that one right. And those don't appear in another piece of information uh, called rainbow tables, which is another technical side of things we're not going to get into. But passphrases really do make a difference because you can remember them. Maybe it's your favorite flavor of coffee. Maybe it's uh, your favorite, uh, you know, some some combination of your favorite pet you had as a child or as an adult or, or your favorite sports team. But it's not just the clevelandindians.com or something, you know, something like that. But it, it, it includes if you use it as a sentence and most of the websites that I've come across and that I use will let you use spaces as well. So it doesn't have to be run together as one long word. You can do it naturally. So I have two cars and two bikes exclamation. 
Right. That's a passphrase mm-hmm. and it's long enough and it can be something as simple as that. Now, again, don't reuse that at site after site after site, but if you use that at a couple sites or just one for your banking and then you have another phrase, the more you use it, the more in tuned it will be. Um, I use a passphrase for my master password because that one's easy enough for me to use it or remember it. I, I, it's just a funny phrase and, and it's just something I can always remember. And it's just a, it's another alternative to 24 characters, upper lowercase letters, uh, numbers, symbols, the like, and it, it just makes it a little bit easier. So, well, um, I'd say we're kind of part one-ish. Yeah, what do you think, yeah, Matt? We're agree. about 30 minutes in. Yeah, we're yeah, trying we're to trying keep to... these to where we don't lose people. And right. and you dial in, you listen when you have 25, 35 minutes and that we don't that we don't stretch them out too much that people just start to tune it out. So uh, we'll conclude this, uh, which is, I believe, episode three of Exploration, but it's part one of uh, data security and, and, and uh, online uh, Online management, let's call it, from uh, from Brian Sprang. So, Brian, we'll be back shortly with uh, with a second edition, and we'll try to hit uh, a couple more of these uh, touch points. And, and Brian, if you want to wrap it up for us, sure. Sure. Um, just want to put in that yes, in the show notes, we will put in a link to the Have I Been Pwned website. We'll have a link to the document that Matt referred to, which is a kind of a talking point uh, brief that I did for the Chamber and Business Alliance here in Hardin County. Uh, and then I will also link to our questfcu.com website and the fraud prevention tips that we do provide there on, on the website. And, and lastly, as a personal note, I just want to shout out Colt Buckenroth. Thank you for coming over and helping us out, uh, getting us, um, lined up audio, uh, you know, engineer and executive producer titles are all yours, buddy. Thank you very much again for helping us out. Well, that's it for this episode. We'll be back soon with episode number four. Look forward to hearing more from Brian Sprang about uh, online security and management. And so for today, we wish you all the best and we'll be back soon.